Thank you so much for joining the Gen Church Wall podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. This month, we are gearing up for our annual event called Halloween at Home, where we deliver a thousand boo buckets to kids in our community. If you'd like to learn more about this event, head over to mygenerations.church to learn more. We hope that you participate. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're beginning a new series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. Together. We're going to read a scripture first. It's out of 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you will say, I follow Paul. The other, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another will follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I think I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gallus, as so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus, and beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I think that's kind of funny that they put that in there. <laughs> so <laughs> and then it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So, welcome to Master Class, week number two, lesson two, Master Class, um, week number two. And so, if you're joining us this week and this is your week, uh, if, and you missed last week, that's okay. I'm going to catch you up to speed. And we are using 1 Corinthians as our text for this in the foundation for this master class. And this master class, as Charity said, is really for all of life, for us to begin to follow Jesus and us to become a master at really all of life. If you're familiar with master class, you can know you can learn how to be a specialist in, in cooking with Gordon Ramsay or singing like Beyonce or um, what a million other kind of people. They've got all these classes, filmmaking with James Cameron. But for this master class, we're studying under the Apostle Paul and learning how to be a master for all of life. You may be wondering, now, why is that? See, in our digital age, we often confuse Jesus branding for becoming like Jesus. Branding is this idea that you can present yourself in such a way as to appear like something. It comes across different industries. There's a lot of talk going on about crafting a personal brand, and it often involves determining what you want to be known for, say, at work, whether it's an attribute, a skill set, or both, and then working backwards to achieve it. The focus is on building a personal brand means that it, you're being known as a smart, hardworking, or reliable employee, but to be known as that is almost as important, if not more important, as actually being hardworking, 
important and reliable. So it's, this, it's putting out this perception, putting out this image so that people identify something about you. And that's a brand. You associate brands all the time with certain colors, with certain images that, that emoke, evoke an emotion or a feeling. Like maybe it's walking into your favorite coffee shop and you just know, oh, this is a safe, good, warm, welcoming space. There's a familiarity there. Or you see another type of brand and you go, man, I know what they're known for and I'm going to stay away. Whether that's reality or not, we associate a brand, an image, something we see with an attribute feelings, emotion. And what the Apostle Paul, what he is doing, he's writing a letter to a church where their behavior is not consistent with their beliefs. And he's going to address five areas where their image, their, their, the behavior that they are putting off is actually not consistent with Jesus at all. And they're actually more concerned with branding than they are becoming like Jesus. The first area is focusing on divisions. The next area is talking about sex. And then there's food. And then there's the gathering and gifting of the church. And then the last is the resurrection of Jesus. So Paul is going to address all different types of areas of life. Things that people still have questions about. People that they're, they're, there's confusion in our world about. And so that's another reason why we're using 1 Corinthians as our foundation for this master class. See, in our distracted age... When we confuse branding for becoming like Jesus, it's easier to ignore the contradiction and flaws in our own basic beliefs. And we're less likely to devote time to introspection. And we're also understand and see that conversations about faith can easily be perceived as just another exercise in superficial identity formation. In other words, adopting the Jesus brand without actively following Jesus or promoting Jesus without actually proclaiming him in all areas of life. It's that idea of that you can post a lot about Jesus and when you comes to your everyday life, you actually look nothing like him. Where you talk about patience, but then where's the patience in your own life? Or you talk about love of neighbor, but then it, you have a hard time with treating someone differently than you, with love and kindness. See, we got to understand that there's a difference between promoting Jesus and promoting the Jesus brand and going on the journey of actually becoming like him. And many of us search for a new reality to catch up with that one experience we had. And so it's easy to promote the brand because it's hard to live it out in our everyday life. Instead, we need to flip the script. See, there is a new reality that we have access to in Jesus in which our everyday experience must catch up to. So rather, we live our faith, and out of that comes the promotion of Jesus. Rather than promote Jesus and hope our everyday experience catches up to it. Because we have access to this new reality, the new person the new family, and the new mission through Jesus. And so Paul makes this appeal in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, I urge you, some transi 
translations say, Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. He wants us to all say, he wants this church that he is writing to, that we're overhearing about, to say the same thing. That is, there to be no divisions among you. Rather, you be knit together in the same mind and opinion. So in writing to this church, he makes this appeal. Paul recognizes that there are some divisions within this church. There's some separation that's happened here. And when we think of division, because of our cultural moment, we can often think of, well, political parties. We can think of politics. Now, what Paul is actually addressing here is not really the political party image that we have in our mind. The description is, he's writing to a church, he's not writing to the general culture. So what he is, a better image might be the plowing of a field, where there is a single field, where the seed is to be sowed, but what happens is it has been dug up and divided. And the best illustration of this passage, the present usage, what Paul is referring to in divisions, actually comes from the Gospel of John, where various groups are said to have divided opinions about Jesus, meaning they are, were arguing about Jesus, and they were arguing about his significance, and they had different opinions on the significance of Jesus. So Paul does not refer to distinctly groups or parties, but here to divided opinions over their various leaders, various opinions over their leaders who have different opinions that they think over Jesus, which according in these two sentences have developed into jealousy and quarrels. And what Paul desires is them to actually be unified through forgiveness. There's a word play here where Paul makes the connection between their relationship and that of mending the net. So I I gave you an, an image of this field that was divided, and he wants them to come back together to be unified so that the seeds of what Jesus has done may grow deep roots and produce much fruit. The other word that's used here is actually comes from Mark chapter 1 verse 119 where it's the, this word is used for mending of nets. See when 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 the, the apostles when they were they used to be fishermen many of Jesus' early followers were were fishermen. So when when they were used to fishing their nets would break. And what they would have to do is after they would cast their nets out and they would come back there would be little tears in them. And so in order to uh, prepare the nets to be cast out again to catch more fish, they had to be repaired. So here in this moment, what Paul is saying is that you need to repair your relationships, that you need to extend forgiveness and love, that you need to repair, you need to be knit together. In doing so, you actually are preparation for the word of the Lord to go out to actually, for, the, for Jesus to be made known amongst people. So the image here is that our relationships need repaired, that the divisions among this church need repaired so that they are prepared to present the good news of Jesus to all different people. So I, and I want us to think about a negotiating table of sorts. See, every movie you've ever seen where it's like one person versus another, 
you know, think, think back to where it's like you've got the table and you've got one party on one side and one party on another, and they're going at each other. And their goal, their whole goal in this moment is to win. They're adversarial. And so as Paul describes the problem of not living out the implications of the life, death, and coming back to life of Jesus within Corinth, he wants them to shift from adversaries, I have to win in this moment. I've got to prove my point to actually shifting to the same side of the table and actually attacking the problem. So that they're not attacking each other. They're not trying to win over one another. They're not trying to exercise their power over another and so prove themselves to be right. Rather, they're to be on the same side and attack the problem. Now, the reason why I I describe that is because oftentimes in our team-building exercises around Generations Church, when we sit around tables and discuss problems, sometimes when there's a little bit of contention or there's a little bit of conflict or you're not quite sure if you're hearing each other right, the moment is to think is that you're attacking the person. But in these moments, when we actually extend a level of love and patience and grace, we're able, able to actually turn around and say, let's actually attack the problem on the whiteboard to solve the solution. How do we help more people trust and follow Jesus? And that is the problem that we are trying to solve. We want to get more people into God's family. So when we discuss this, when we are trying to solve challenges, when we are trying to do outreach, when we're trying to, uh, to, to re-knit relationships together, that is what it is about. And it comes together, and Paul says, in w- mind and opinion that they must agree on the nature of Jesus. And out of that agreement on the nature of Jesus, we can figure out what the application will be. See, in this moment, though, we can often think, well, that means we all have to be the same. They don't have to be the same. They can bring their stories, their gifting, and abilities to that table. The church does not demand uniformity. We need diversity. And guess what? That Paul is actually going to make that argument Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he talks about the gifting of the church. So here in this moment, what he's arguing for is for unity. To say, let's keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. And so when we're trying to work together, we understand there's going to be some different opinions of what the best thing is. Our team, I'll, I'll, I'll air this out here, sees this in firsthand in real time. I've got, an, I've got a teammate. John Grabhorn, who's a great and gifted guy, and many of you know John. But what sometimes happens in real time, you will see us attack the same problem from different perspectives. He's my dot connector. He, he's the detailed guy, and he's a lot of process. And I'm big picture vision. But in real time, what happens is because we know that while we come from two different perspectives— And our idea is that how do we expand God's family? How do we keep the main thing the main thing? Usually we can come together and be unified. Some of you see that played out in your marriages. (laughs) Because you know you and your spouse are different people and different things. But, But your goal is to maybe raise a family well. To impart something to your kids. Or maybe make a tangible difference in the community. Or maybe, maybe you feel like, man, I, I don't know how that applies to me. Maybe you've got someone at work who you know you tend to butt heads with, but you're trying to solve the problem together. But So here's the thing, is in the church, you're going to have different skills, abilities, and gifting. And we can come together and say, how do we help more people center and orbit their life around Jesus? The challenge with the Corinth church is that the reason Paul has to write this is because they weren't doing it. 
They were saying yes with their mouths, but their actions didn't back that up. The default conduct of the church was informed by their context. See, Corinth was a place where various speakers would come in, and they would teach and share. Just as a drama club director might hold auditions with a clipboard and arms crossed, evaluating everybody that comes across the stage, the Corinthians were used to evaluating leaders and their abilities in the same manner. So rather than using different skills and abilities to solve problems, what they did is said, okay, we're going to evaluate you. How good is your skill? How good is your speech? How good? And, and they would cross their arms and they'd go. And Paul says, hey, I've been informed that you say, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And that's where we see in uh, verse 12. It says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas. And so after Paul had left, what had happened is more teachers come in. There, there's more leaders who, who influence this church. And rather than keeping the main thing, the main thing being Jesus, what had happened is groups of people within the church essentially started becoming groupies of their favorite teacher or leader. And this led to quarrels or fighting. And in this context, in the Corinth context, in this city, the body of Christ appears divided. Because they're spending time talking about their favorite preacher rather than talking about Jesus. Further, this was an already common in the public square. And how you talk about who you follow is vastly important. See, when we think about Generations Church in, the, in the, this context, in our neck of the woods in Vancouver, in this convergence of the two highways, in between Mount Vista and the schools, in between Ridgefield and Hazeldale, as we think of where Generations Church finds its footing, how we talk about our church matters. Because what I w my hope for Generation Church is that we talk less about the name of Generations and more about the name of Jesus. That you talk less about Kyle and John and more about Jesus and how Jesus is finding his way in your life. And then people go in conversation with you. Man, I'm seeing more joy. I'm seeing more peace. I'm seeing you actually repair relationships. And out of that, you can say, hey, would you want to go on a journey of seeing the way of Jesus take root in your life? And it just so happens that you gather with other believers here at Generations Church. It's one thing to think about another story in context. It's more difficult to think about our own. Because as we think about what God is doing here within Generations Church, we have to be very careful about how we speak of those who are finding their rhythm within the church. In our own journey, we have people who come from different groups, from different stories and walks of life. In fact, we've had people who, I'll name a few churches, that were sent from the branch, people that have come from Minnehaha, people who have come from other churches. And what happens is in this moment, as, as Generations Church, in this point in time in our story, if we go, oh, that's the body of Christ people, or those are the branch people, or that they, they came from that church. What happens is we're presenting divisions that aren't actually need to be here. What we are seeking to do is live the story of Jesus right here as Generations Church. And so as we talk about people and talk about our story here, we need to be very, very careful. That as we identify people and we learn about them and their story, that we don't identify them as a group or a clique. So to... to present 
this type of division. Because how we identify, we want to be less and less by maybe the churches that we came from and more about Jesus. And that's why in our vision, there's this little phrase, because of Jesus. What my hope is that as we say we are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come, that that because of Jesus becomes our refrain. When people say, why do you do what you do? What rhythm are you finding yourself in? Why do you have some more patience? Why are you willing to extend more grace in a relationship? You can go, not because Kyle, my preacher, told me that's what I should do. Rather, we're able to say, it's because of Jesus and the work that he's doing in my life. And I am learning how to apply that. And it's not easy. It's not always pleasant or comfortable. But we're able to say it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. It's because of his life, death, and coming back to life. And so I hope people have come to see themselves as less of where they have left, but instead be positively identified with where we are going. It's the old adage of being know what you are for rather than what you are against. But in this moment, what Paul is trying to get this church to do is to change the scorecard or rubric. Because their scorecard, how they evaluated things, was informed by their context. Rather, their posture should be formed by Jesus. I'm hoping you're sensing a theme here. It's almost as if in passing, though, Paul alludes to one factor which should change the scorecard. And he references their baptism. They were baptized. I should pause here. See, you do not need to be baptized to begin exploring faith or applying the teachings of Jesus. However, baptism publicly declares a person to be in the family, a theme that Paul will develop later in his letter. It's saying yes to Jesus. It's an allusion to baptism that Paul is addressing different motives for baptism. See, sometimes we think if if we're baptized, then we'll get that comfort, we'll get that uh, assurance. It's a box you can check. And while your baptism should provide some comfort, comfort should not be the motivation for your baptism. Nor should baptism be a performance so that others see you as right and good, that you've done the right thing. Nor should baptism be viewed as entering you into this church or that it has to be done by a specific person for it to count. Because what Paul is saying here is that it seemed like in this church, that the act of baptizing had to be done by a specific person. That was leading to the separation and the division. And what Paul wants to make clear is that baptism is a response to the good news of Jesus. And so it really doesn't matter who does the baptizing. What matters is that you're baptized into the name of Jesus. That it's a response to who God is and what he has done. And so my plea even to some of you who are here, maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe you've never taken that step. That, that you hear crystal clear that God loves you and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and give you new life, to give you access to be a new person, to have a new family, to be given a new mission. And out of that, you say, okay, I want to give my life to follow him. And, w- and you may wonder, so what do I do next? It's out of that then we say, 
you should be baptized. See, it's God's ordained mode of faith's response to the gospel. See, they had been baptized. They had said yes to Jesus. Now it was allowing that baptism to take root and be less branding and more becoming like Jesus. See, Paul is saying what's more important is the message that led you to get baptized in the first place is more important than almost the baptism itself. And we have to be careful here because, because it makes it seem like we're downplaying baptism. The goal is not to downplay baptism in this moment, but to say the primacy is Jesus and understanding who he is. And when that whisper in your soul takes, takes hold of your heart and you say, all right, I'm in. I want to give my life to this. Out of that, then we get to dunk you in some water and raise you to new life. But it's a response, and we've got to understand that as we seek to find our way in the world, as we seek for generations to live out our faith in the everyday things of life, that we point people to Jesus. And as people orient their life around Jesus and say, so what, how should I live my life around Jesus? You can say, well, do you want to be able to follow him in all aspects of life? Do you want to have access to the new person and the new family and the new mission? That's where baptism comes in. The second factor was Paul's call and medium of sharing the gospel, this announcement of this new reality in Jesus. See, for Paul, how he shared that message mattered. The medium mattered, which was in contrast to the orators and thinkers of Corinth. See, as this content of preaching was to take effect, he sets up this powerful cadence that follows. And it's actually blurred in kind of most English translations. So I, I have to kind of, as I explain this last verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, we've got to be careful because to, to, it's actually going to set up 18 through 2.5. And it says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquence, eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. He says, Christ sent me to preach, not with wisdom, characterized by wisdom. See, there's a greater wisdom that he will go on to argue, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks and how we live by this wisdom, and why this wisdom maybe is foolishness to those who are perishing and don't quite understand who God is and are confused by it. But what Paul is saying is the cross of Christ has power and has effect. And so the way in which we present the good news of Jesus is in fact good news should not be subverted by the very way in which we present it. Paul insists that to preach the gospel with wisdom and eloquence is in the first sense like, what, let me say it this way. I gave you that picture a moment ago of the Corinthians kind of sitting there with their arms folded, evaluating everyone. What they were used to is other orators, other speakers, other teachers getting on the stage and doing it in like sophisticated rhetoric talking in flourishing words and wisdom, giving this impressive rhetoric. But what Paul is saying is when you do that, you actually empty the cross of its power. The cross of Christ does not refer just to the crucifixion, but all of what Paul is saying that accomplishes in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So the sophist strategy, these orators, they were visual, they were manipulative, 
And rather than containing content, they contain kind of empty speech. And the sports world, it's what's known as coach speak. You can say a whole lot without actually saying anything at all. And so in the moment, what, what Paul is alluding to is saying, hey, what people will do is they'll come up and they'll pretend like they know a lot, but not actually say anything. And you go, oh, man, that sounded really good. He made me feel good. And then you go, wait, but how does that take root in my life? Does that change anything? Did it, was there anything of substance there? And these orators didn't produce anything of substance. They had this clipboard posture, the Corinth church. And they go, well, Paul isn't like them, so I'm not sure we should really listen to him. Clearly, he doesn't get it. But what Paul has to do is he has to begin to peel back the layers of their assumptions, addressing issues so to expose their true values. See, Paul's effort is trying to say in this moment, I've got to critique the way of thinking here so that I can help you go, not eyes on me being Paul, but eyes on thee being Jesus. And Paul is saying the medium must match the message. Meaning that clear, engaging speech is good, but manipulation of people with words is not. I have to, I, sometimes there, there, I need to be careful as I say this, because sometimes we, in a sense of, of urgency and well intentions at times can can ask leading questions such as if you die tonight do you know where you would go and we we could present things like that and or even there there's this uh i've heard of things called hell's flames and heaven's gates it's this idea that we can scare people into saying yes to jesus and it comes out of, we want God, people to experience the goodness of God. We want people to experience the love and the grace of Jesus. But if we think we can just scare them into saying yes to Jesus, if we can guilt them into saying yes to Jesus, then at least we got them to say yes to Jesus. And in this moment, Paul is saying, we've got to make the medium match the message. We cannot scare, guilt, or shame people into fire insurance. The way the spiritual war is won in our world is not through the weaponization of shame, guilt, and fear, but through the upside-down weapon of the cross that says there is an answer to your shame, there is an answer to your guilt, and the fear that you feel you can have a power within you, you can have access to that. And that is the appealing message. That is the good news of Jesus. And so out of that, people will say, how do I have access to that? And so sometimes we feel the urge to manipulate. In a world about brand or online character, we must be very careful that we help our message as we present Jesus to be less manipulative, less scare tactic, and more truthful, more sincere, more loving, and say, there you, there's a God who loves you. And so no matter how confident we modern people are in our worldview. We will always be aware of, all, of the alternatives. And as a result, we become increasingly concerned with signaling, signaling our beliefs, meaning our focus shift away from actually practicing our beliefs to signaling our beliefs to ourselves and others. And when you feel tempted to signal, rather than signal or brand outward, go the opposite way. Journey inward. Go back to who Jesus says you are. 
and who God is and allow him to cultivate that newness that is true from your baptism that says you are a loved child of God. You are not identified by your past, your fears, or your failures. But out of that, then people will notice something about you. They will notice that you're not defined by your past, your fears, or your failures. Because the way about you talk things is you're not necessarily ashamed of them, but you're honest about them. And you're able to say, I do not need to prove my beliefs to you, but rather, in living my life, in becoming more like Jesus, it will be effective proof. So proving that the power of the cross of Christ actually is effective. So you do not have to wield the cross like a sword, but rather you can lay down your life again and again. And so you have to create moments where the divine can intervene to to cultivate that inward journey of, God, who do you say that I am? That we have to peel back the layers in our own life. And it's a simple thing. But in the moments, the mundane, the pauses, if you slow down long enough to pause, you know those gaps during your day. And the, the temptation is to turn on the TV or to pick up your phone and scroll. My hope is in those moments that you can actually set it down and look around. Because in looking around, you're able to see the beauty of the world. And remember that there is a good God who says, I created this all, and it's beautiful, and we can enjoy it. And you may see people around you, and that's the beautiful thing, is we see people who are different, different backgrounds, skills, and abilities, and know that God can work in their life because he has worked in yours. So in the gaps of your day, look around rather than look down. So recognize the inward renewal that we are experiencing, that I hope you are experiencing. Because in those moments, what's going to be tempted to happen is to present yourself, to present Jesus like a popularity contest. But the church is not a popularity contest. The church is not a brand. The church is a community centered around Jesus. And so from Jesus branding to belonging and becoming like Jesus. The church is a community centered around Jesus. May we move with increasing rhythm, with increasing posture, from Jesus branding to belonging and becoming more like Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, you are good, and I'm thankful for your word. Right now, Lord, I pray if there, is, if there are people that are wondering, okay, I, I want to respond, I want to become more like Jesus. That over these next couple songs, that if they've got questions or concerns or want to take that step, that they begin that journey, that they do just that. God, I pray against the lies of the enemy right now that want to say, oh, you don't need to do that. Oh, you don't need to take that step or no, that sounds too good to be true. Of course you're going to be known by your fears and your failures and your mistakes. God, I pray right now that the word takes root, that the good news that you are a God who loves, who intervenes, who laid down his life for us so that we can be new people with a new family on a new mission. God, I, I pray that we live life 
in that way. Thank you for that access that we have, for your love and for your peace. May we respond appropriately. It's in Jesus' name I pray.